Welcome to Inside the Four Walls. Sports nutrition, active nutrition, and lifestyle nutrition is our world. It's changing, it's adapting, and it's evolving at a pace not many of us had anticipated. And we want to know more. I've learned over the years that some of the best insight is derived through conversation. And if you truly want to understand the dynamics of the market, you need to look beneath the surface. You need to ask those from within. So that's what we're doing. We talk to people from within the industry, those that have opinion, those that have been at the coalface, and those that have been there and done it. So buckle in and enjoy the ride. I'm Nick Morgan, and this is Inside the Four Walls. Welcome to episode four of Inside the Four Walls. Now today we have Andy Duckworth. Andy is CEO and co-founder of NatureCan, but he's probably best known for his time as CEO of MyProtein. We have a great chat today with Andy about his time at MyProtein, the level of growth that he saw, and what ultimately underpinned the success. And of course, what he's taken from his time at MyProtein and how it defines the way he does business at NatureCan. A great, fascinating insight that I've no doubt everyone out there is super keen to understand. Just a quick note before you get stuck into the podcast, Andy mentions he left in early 2017. He's already reminded me that he meant to say 2018. So just for those of you who know him best, he does acknowledge he made a brief mistake there. But everything else he says, of course, is worthy of listening. So stay tuned, listen, learn. You're going to definitely enjoy, and I look forward to hearing your feedback afterwards. Andy, great to have you with us on Inside the Four Walls. Um, pleasure to, uh, to, to talk to you as always. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks very much, Nick. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good. Uh, very busy at the minute, but yeah, on top of the world, really. Good. Um, well, the purposes today, I mean, there is two parts to it, um, but we can't help but uh, think about how besotted people in our industry are about my protein and um would love to hear a little bit about that to the extent that you can of course share that um but just for everyone before we get into some the key questions just give everyone a reminder of um when you joined or you know you were significantly involved in in my p you know when was that you know which year and, and the extent of the growth of the company over the period of time which you left which i don't can't remember the date which will be a couple of years ago now so the period you're in the business and sort of the extent of where it was and where it ended um, when you finished? Yeah, uh, so joined the business, it would have been, oh, I took over sometime in uh, early 2012 and moved on from my protein. It, it was January 2017. So five years that presumably saw a, a phenomenal, was a phenomenal period of, of growth where you broadly disrupted the market in, in fairness. So, um, uh, what, what did the business look like in 2012? How would you describe it then? And how would you describe what it looked like in 2017? Yeah, I'd say that when we, uh, when we took it on, it was uh, you know, a really, really good business. It was vertically integrated. Uh, it was uh, doing sales mainly into the UK, but into some international markets. And on the back of uh, significant investment and I guess, uh, changed in processes and, you know, a little bit of vision from the Hook Group and the team, uh, you know, moved towards being the global online leader uh, for wellness and sports nutrition. Um, and yeah, it, it, you know, we left it or I left it as, you know, a truly sort of global business. And, and that was a fab effort, you know, from all involved, really. And, and in terms of, 
the vision that was set out in 2012. I mean, you come in, you're CEO, you know, you want to establish your own footprint. Um, just give us an extent to which your vision was uh, either reached, surpassed, or literally blew your mind looking back at what it was like in 2017 when you left. Honestly, how, how many times did you rewrite the vision? Yeah, being honest, you join uh, or you take it on and your initial sort of mandate is is survival. You know, the huts are very uh, prosperous, uh, ambitious business and you, know, you, you get involved, you take it on and you assess what's in there. And, you know, f from there, you sort of quickly realise what is possible. Uh, what, you know, what we or what the hut group bought from from Oliver was something you know really really special and like I say it was vertically integrated when we got it but taking it on from there you know the hook group provided you know immense capital and infrastructure and the culture you know the hut is is very very ambitious um, very facilitating it was very much a meritocracy where you know we, you, you could achieve anything really and you were given immense backing so so that you know that sort of brought the the vision, the vision on. So you, you take it on and you, and you look at it and you're like, wow, this is a great business and you've got a really loyal customer base. And, and, and then you start thinking, how do we expand this customer base? Uh, you realize how great the products are and, and then also how you can, you know, I guess, improve the supply chain further. Uh, and I guess, you know, the, the maybe a year or two, you start thinking, we've got to get this product to every country in the world because it's that good. So it was, it was an iterative vision. You know, it'd be nice to say you go in and everyone thinks, yeah, let's take this to global number one. But, you know, all the time, the, I guess the belief grows and you realize what, you know, what as a business and as a team you've got. And from there, you know, it sort of snowballed and, and we, we did incredibly well with it. And the business still continues, you know, to do really well, which is, which is brilliant. And before I go into, I guess, the pillars that maybe you outlined to be, you know, you've just touched on a few of them there anyway, in terms of what would underpin the growth over that time period. Um, the one thing we always reflect on is just how disruptive, I mean, people synonymously talked about D to C and almost my protein in the same breath as if either it was defined by Oliver and my protein and then really cemented by himself and the team, but it is a remarkably synonymous way of speaking. So at that stage in 2012, you know, how, how did you view the, just the, I guess, the opportunity that the D2C model was offering to disrupt and, and, and just literally create something that was currently really unchallenged because everyone was a fast follower from that point, right? So in terms of bulk and process and yeah. a few others. How did you view yeah. it? Yeah, so, so what, the, what the model allows you to do is, 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 take, is take the product global really quickly. Uh, you, you're not reliant on retailers and, you know, that's something that, is you know something I've experienced even since that where you know you, you're much better off relying on your the, you know your own and the team's ability and the group's ability rather than you know, speak to the customer. Uh, you're speaking to the customer directly. Uh, you know when you are marketing to the customer and delivering direct to the customer. So the, the in that way the the DTC model you know really facilitated growth uh, and disruption. Obviously the the margin stack of a DTC business is totally different than a retail business. So you've got a lot more margin to play with, which can reinvest, you know, whether it's in price, whether it's in product uh, or promotion. Uh, so, so in that way, the model was, you know, advantageous for sure. And obviously, you know, there was a, a good, a good, I guess, interaction, you know, with the likes of Maximussel and PhD, um, you know, and they're both fabulous brands and, and the guys who sort of set them up did, you know, did really well. 
but it was an evolution and you know channel shift was was kicking in and, and still continues to kick in you know even sort of during covid but i think the you know the other major element of the the model which was significant was the the vertical integration and yeah. the it was it was almost like the the speed to market that you could benefit from the the new products and the NPD. So yes, you know you had a slight margin advantage with with the uh, vertical integration and the, the in-house facility, and you could really drive uh, the quality and the testing. And I think that allowed you to market to the to the end consumer, you know, about the quality of your product because you understood what was going into it fully, and you could change the products and update them and keep you know ahead ahead of the curve and and up with the trends so that was that was advantageous for sure and it allowed us to build our product portfolio of flavors relevant products and and, and own formulations and, and that was probably you know just as big a reason um, why my protein you know does well and continues to do really well as as the dc model itself yeah which is fascinating because you're just controlling so much of the supply chain and the value chain um and you can really you can really I guess, turn the screw as it were. There, there, there is, I remember some of the discussions around it throughout, throughout the early stages, how people viewed it and they just couldn't get their head around. I mean, they probably could if they're smart people, of course, the price points and so on. Yeah. Um, there, how did you view the fact that um, there was always a discussion that the model of MyP sort of drove value out the market or it was almost like a race to the bottom? I mean, right now, it's just the way everyone's doing business. So it's become more normal. But back then, I think people were super critical of it. How, how did you, did you, did you care? Did you really, did you notice it? Do you think it's accurate, misinformed? Was it jealousy? What's your view on, on how that model really sort of squeezed everyone else that was bricks and mortar massively? Yeah. I mean, what we, what we aim to do, um, you know, and I'm sure what my protein still into is just deliver a great uh, value and quality to the consumer. So that's, that's the way that certainly the team looked at it. Um, you know, the, we could look, the consumer in the eye and say the, the product quality was, you know, one of the best out there. Um, and I, I believe consumers were being overcharged to be fair for, for a kilogram of whey. So in that respect, you know, certainly, certainly no guilt, you know, we, we just delivered a phenomenal product to the consumer and, and did it quickly and efficiently. And I think it was, you know, it was, it was fine to do that. It's, it's like being in a hundred meters race really and expecting the other guy not to, not to run hard, you know, the business model was advantageous and we took advantage of it. Yeah. What I love about it already is just how many times you've mentioned the, the word product and the quality of product, um, which can sometimes in all of these situations be overlooked. I know in acquisitions, everyone always talks about it and, and, but, but it's not always well held in some in, in businesses as much as they should. So I just wondered how, how um, I guess the view was of product, just how focused to, to, to what extent were you driving just hang on people, no matter what happens, product, product, product. How, what was it like when you took it over? Was that always the case? Um, and how did you look to nurture that? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the, the, the supply of the raw ingredients when we took it on was great. And again, the hook group is all about uh, quality uh, and, you know, delivering the best to the consumer. And, you know, that was, that, that ran through my protein for sure. You know, I think it's very easy to be passionate about sports nutrition and wellness and, the, if you can't be passionate about that and delivering quality, you're definitely in the wrong game. Uh, the advantage, of course, is that you can recruit, you know, and, and the staff um, were, were equally as passionate. You know, vast majority of recruits were users of my protein. You know, I was certainly 
a user of MyProtein long before even the Hook Group bought it. So, you know, we, we feel that we understood to a degree the end consumer as well as anyone could be. And obviously, you know, some of the traits that a consumer looks for is, is really high quality, good value, uh, decent range, um, good, you know, good custom service. And, and these were all elements that, you know, were delivered and are still delivered today. I don't know who told me, but I don't know whether it could be a made up story, but someone always used to sort of epitomize the way that you, you guys are obsessed with product is that there would be you in the gym at 6am in the morning with sort of Andy bot next to you and, and whoever else was there. And you'd literally be talking about products. So it's CEO and director board level within the group. I mean, I don't know if that story itself is true, but is, is, is that what it actually looked like that even at your, even though you're a finance guy, but you've been using them. Is that, is that how it was? Yeah, honestly, uh, yeah. I uh, think you're being very kind to bot it there. Uh, he's, a, he's a great footballer, but he, he wasn't in the gym at 6am. But the the CEO of the whole group, you know, was in the gym uh, with me, um, you know, across a number of years at 6am in the morning. It, it was a very, uh, you know, sort of driven business and very much yeah, obsessed with with that quality, with the products. Yeah, that is the type of you know, discussion that would be had in the morning. Um, you know, it would be sales related, it would be products, it would be service. And, and the group's still like that, you know, no doubt. It's, it's a driven it's a driven place. And, you know, but products, customers are, you know, two of the aspects that were always an obsession with the group and with my team. And before I think about the broader landscape, just on the product side, um, in, in your period of charge, you know, what was the growth of the number of products and, and SKUs? I mean, you're talking about a, a company, I can't think of what it is, let's just say 300 to 400 pair of products. I mean, maybe I'm thinking consumables, not just clothing here as well, um, but also then into to SKUs. I mean, you're talking about phenomenal models. Was, was there any major inflection points of uh, growth of the product range? And, and how did you view the, just how many products you might ever offer someone? I mean, it's staggering compared to a normal brand, right? terms of the might yeah. have 30 products yeah yeah it, there was inflection points where you know we always wanted to take um the product itself to the mainstream so moving into vegan um we i think we did really well with food and snacks and you know you can certainly see micro continues to do that really well um but yeah so they, they were the inflection points really you know then clothing was was another you know really really big change and, and step change that was made you know micro is a very sort of loyal customer base and uh, it lent itself really well to, to offer value for the clothing range to the consumers as well. So yeah, I would say the vegan range, the food and snacks, uh, the, the uh, and the clothing were the three major sort of step changes made. Um, in terms of numbers, yeah, it was from the hundreds to the thousands on a child's basis. And, you know, we tried to keep them relevant and always see what the consumer liked and and what you know the repeat purchases were, were made on those products so we were always really flexible and you know that goes back again to the the talk about the business model and the vertical integration and you know the the flexibility that my p has in that area you know is phenomenal and you know and, and continues to keep it at the forefront and how cutthroat were you are were you on the the list of products in terms of how well they do um how long do they last if they're not churning turning around I mean, you've got such a long list of products. I mean, the, the, the ability to micromanage all of them is very, very difficult. You'd have to rely entirely on data in terms of it, the, the human time to look at them all in, in detail. How, how did you manage that in terms of, you know, really understanding whether they were working or not and how long they would have in the business if they weren't? 
Yeah, so the, the group infrastructure, you know, in that way was was really strong. You know, there's an excellent data science team. So, you know, you 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 were very lucky in that you could see what you needed to see very quickly on what worked and you know what didn't. And invariably, you know, we were very careful with the MPD process. And you know, that's something that's still important in in businesses I'm involved in today, where you don't just create something that you know that isn't going to be a success. You look you look for quality. Uh, you look for a consumer need. Um, that was certainly the case at MyP, and it's also the case at NatureCam, where we are now. Um, so, yeah, you know, you were lucky. You had data, and, you, you know, you, you don't want to be releasing products to any business that consumers don't come back and repeat by, because I think anyone can sell something once, but that's not what you build a business on. So, in that respect, we were lucky. We had great data. I'm not sure what you can necessarily tell me on the... Uh, the, the Pareto of, of, of contribution of, of the sales, but obviously everyone knows impact way, impact um, way, isolate, etc. Um, and volume of whey protein, I still think does dominate the market despite you know the, the growth of healthy snacking bars, etc. Um, it'd be interesting to know based on a, a consumable product list of say that's 400, the extent to which the 80-20 rule still applies to even my protein. Um, is, is, is there something we can understand from that? Yeah, probably uh, probably not smart enough to remember those exact numbers, but there was there was a really impressive um, sort of you know de-risking um, you know from from way you know with the the expansion of the product range and uh, you know it was just important to widen um, what my protein offered to to the consumer you know and taking it from just I guess the everyday bodybuilder which was you know was still important to us but you know spreading it wider and yeah there was clearly a you know, a lessening of the reliance on bog standard whey protein. And that was, that was important. That was something that, you know, we discussed at board level and was executed really well. What a, I've got to go on to the clothing again. I feel like everyone followed you on that. And uh, before everyone managed to get their head around it, everyone was talking about the fact you were churning out a million quid a month or something on it again. I mean, I just paraphrase what I swear to God people tell me, but um, whether it's true or not, but who suddenly went, Oh, how, when did that happen? The the the, the extended clothing, and, to, and honestly, how how long did it take before it was really successful, or you felt like it it, it was really matching the, the genuine vision? Did it take a while, or did it take off straight away? Yeah, it did take a little while. Um, so we started off with, I think we you know we introduced as as, as a group really GWP, so gift for purchases, and you know whether that was a simple blender bottle or whether it was a, a vest, uh, that was our starting point, and you know we could see there was a a thirst and, a, and a, maybe a need for that type of product. So it started from that. You know, we, we had success with a couple of a couple of garments. And again, it was something that was very, very sort of prevalent at board level, you know, in terms of discussions. And the group obviously offers, um, you know, expertise in that area because it had clothing businesses. So we, again, we had an advantage. We were very lucky in that respect that we had, you know, the resource to do that. Uh, and a bit of supply chain excellence and, and knowledge in that area. Um, and it was probably after a, around about a year, um, a guy called Brett Hamer, who you'll know, did incredibly well with it. And then from there, there was like a build of the, the clothing team and we had, we had a phenomenal team. It was, it was headed up um, by, by a, a girl who, who came from Gymshark, who did incredibly well for us and, and her team as well. You know, so they, they took it to another level and, Obviously, you know, the flip side of that is is seeing what Jim Shark have done, you know, which again just needs needs to be sort of admired and acknowledged. You know, they've they've just taken that side of 
um, you know, of, of a business to another level and seeing what they've done on, on a platform like Shopify is, is stunning to see. Um, but, mm-hmm. so, you know, hopefully, um, yeah, you know, I guess there was a bit of inspiration from, from both sides each way there. Yeah, cool. Um, having uh, known you guys for a while, but also uh, others in the industry, people, people are genuinely obsessed with my protein. And, and to be honest, quite rightly so, because of um, the leadership position that you've taken along, uh, alongside Glambier Optimum globally as well. Uh, they're obsessed with you. What's it like inside the four walls when you were there? To, to what extent were you obsessed with the competitors outside of, outside of my protein? were you and to, how often were, were you discussing what they were doing why they were doing or were you really just a single-minded because ultimately your model was quite different still at that stage the majority of the players yeah and obviously i'm i'm long since gone um but in terms of you know when i was there the there was there was a really healthy respect for the competition um you know of course we were competitive and you know we would keep an eye on what the competition did but you know the the hub group you know came from entrepreneurial beginnings and the leadership there totally respected you know other businesses and I guess the effort and you know um, goals really for what those guys were put on the line to form their businesses so you know there was a massive respect for the other businesses in the industry but also there was a competitive edge and you know we were keen to lead the way but you know we did our best with that uh, but I would say ultimately most of the focus was on ourselves you know we were, we were very busy um, we were trying to lead uh, and innovate the best we could. And, you know, we, we were honestly pretty focused on what we were doing uh, because we believed in what we were doing. And um, just thinking about um, one of the major things you said at the very beginning, that really, you know, the vertical integration was massive, which was you, you you'd inherited, but I've no doubt you continue to invest in and, and nurture as well under your, your watch. The other major thing that's so impressive about this model is, is, um, is international expansion. Uh, how, how did you want the business to view? How did you view the European sports nutrition before we go even further afield than that? You know, it, it is um, nutrition and health claims regulation. You've got difference between north, south, east, and west, as it were. What yeah. was your? How did you look upon the importance of Europe? And was it simply a copy and paste model lifted up? I mean, how was that the expansion into Europe? Um, yeah, yeah. The, the way we saw it was that. The UK was leading, you know, in terms of online and I guess leading the sort of channel shift. Germany was slightly behind. Uh, the Nordics were probably level with the UK. Uh, and then slightly behind Germany was the rest of Western Europe and then then Eastern Europe. But we just saw it as an opportunity everywhere because we firmly believe that you could sell the best product and the best product range in the market anywhere. And I think that was, you know, a really simple mantra is that, you know, the team really believed in the product and the quality and therefore why can't you put it everywhere and and that's something that you know I've taken with the team onto NatureCan as well with the CBD which we'll talk we'll talk about but um, you know I think if you create uh, an incredibly high quality product then why can't you sell it everywhere if you can you know keep your supply chain and your customer service up with the you know with the, with the consumer demand you know because that's really important as well um, you know, if you believe in your product, you should be able to sell it everywhere, in my opinion. And what my protein did do as well, really well, we had a really strong um, sort of, I guess, international element of the NPD team. And so, so there was local local flavors and local products. And again, that was driven by the ability to do so from the the in-house production. So, did you have somebody who was a your NPD for Southern Europe? 
talk to the markets, work out what the flavors are and so on and so, so forth. Is that how it worked? Yeah, exactly that. You, you could see what the demand was on your own website um, through like what we call zero search terms. So you could see what people wanted and then you could also see in Google Trends clearly. Um, you know, and then finally, obviously, when you visited the, you know, the big, the big waste suppliers or the big ingredient suppliers, they had their own reports as well. Um, you're important to them because of the scale of your business. So you, you got a really good, um, good insight into what was, you know, what was, what was driving demand and we were quick to act upon it. Um, what was the r- r- rate of expansion to those markets? I mean, did you manage to get the 22 European markets in one year? I mean, how did you do it? Did, I mean, did you get into, were you in them all over 18 months? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I suppose people say it's a copy and paste, right? So it's simple, but there's language, there's distribution, there's logistics, there's all sorts of things that you need to work out. Like, yeah. well, what was the what was the uh, rate of um, of launch in, in across the European at this stage market? Yeah, um, so it, it, again, you know, the group had, um, hasn't had the infrastructure to almost copy and paste all you know the the websites, but you still had to prepare all the content, you know, make sure it was um, you know locally sort of. Um, relevant if you will you know there was change to me but yeah you touched on it it's the supply chain as well you know that's something we did really well with um and there was again a massive group focus on that side of things and you you can see how that's progressed certainly in the last year or two with the group as well but the you've got to deliver you know an a1 customer experience and service from somebody placing an order on your website and so, so there was more to it yeah than the copy and paste but you know, you've explained it. Uh, it, it. It's exactly those factors you mentioned, and fulfilment's just really, really important. And again, the group, you know, was well positioned and has has built operations, you know, across Europe and and um, and the US, etc. And and again, it's something which we've taken into NatureCan and and replicated. You know, so just fine. You can copy and paste the website, but you need your um, your copy to be of a certain standard, but you have to have you know the global supply chain behind it, and you know moving products around. You know it's it's easier to move way around globally, but certainly moving CBD around globally. You know you need to be in the detail with you know with the importation and the exportation and your HS codes, and you know experience in this area is is really beneficial. And um, but it's something we did well at my peak for sure. Um, I've got to ask you about one market in particular. I don't know what you can say, but the, the US, which is by far and away the biggest sports nutrition market there is, um, doesn't really have this model over there. Obviously, my protein are in there at the moment. You've always had bodybuilding.com, vitamin shop, and, and a few others, but then you know very strong household names in terms of the original market. Yeah. Uh, was uh, when did you go into it? I can't remember when you did. What was that? Was that the same? Was that a totally different challenge altogether to hit to hit America? Yeah, totally different challenge because you need uh, totally separate labels, totally different uh, production supply chain, um, totally different uh, fulfillment supply chain. So entering America, you know, it took you know took a lot of work, and it's something that we started very early on. Um, a guy called Ash Wilson, actually, who is now at Gymshark and doing really well. Uh, he he started that piece of work um, with myself um, in the early days and. You put a lot of work in, and bit by bit, we chipped away at it, and and got in there, and you know, and the, and the and the group was again really well positioned to you know deliver on the service element, and and yeah, cracking America and entering America is totally different than than entering 
uh, Western Europe, for example. And, and again, um, entering America is something we've cracked with, with Nature Camp. Um, so we went live in America last week and, you know, a, a year, a year and a half in, it's something to be proud of because it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah. And um, just before we move on to Nature Camp, that, last, last two questions. Um, just taking a, a look back, um, taking a step back and sort of looking back in over the time you were there, um, everyone talks about the, the good news stories and phenomenal growth, um, established model, uh, rapid expansion, vertical integration, complete disruption. Everyone's obsessed with you. Um, have you got any, you got any, got any words of wisdom in terms of maybe just giving some insights of what maybe one or two of the biggest sort of failures either you had or you, you feel just did, we just, you know, didn't get right. I mean, people have got to know that you didn't get everything right, surely. Yeah, we, we definitely uh, didn't get everything right. Um, but I racked my brain and um, I haven't got memory, uh, sorry, many bad memories of it. So I did struggle with that question, but it doesn't mean we didn't, uh, didn't get everything right. But looking back at it, I can't think of, you know, many sort of, many negatives. You know, it was, I guess there was, you know, just a, a plethora of, of positive stuff going on. So if something maybe didn't work as well as we wanted, it, it just got swamped by the positive and the growth. So um, we didn't get everything right, but I'm too old to remember that far back. Good answer, though, because um, I can see you whilst we're talking. Not everyone else can, and you kind of actually literally are scratching your head. So um, I, I, kind of, I kind of trust you on that. Um, now that you've left and it's, it's three years on, I mean, how, how much – What's you just to finish off? How do you reflect on the, the the meteoric change in the sports nutrition market, and also where do you think it's going? Um, and do you think my protein, you know, now that you've left, looking in, are in a good place to continue to dominate and remain fit for purpose in the future? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, my my protein is the sort of the, you know, the number one player um, for a reason. It's it's built on it's built on rock. You know, there's, there's a great team in there still, um, great people and the Hook group, you know, absolutely know what they're doing in business uh, and will continue to do so. But um, in terms of the actual industry, you know, I'm going to give the stock answer in that there'll be more and more movement to, to vegan, to natural, to organic. Uh, you know, we're seeing it all the time. Um, so that applies to sports nutrition, it applies to, to beauty, it applies to, to CBD. You know, we're seeing it everywhere and um, that's 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 coming more and more. How does that leave the old guard, the existing brands? Do you think? I don't know whether yeah. I count my protein in that. In, in fairness, I probably don't. So what you know, the original people you competed against at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, my protein are well positioned and, and, and will do really well. It's I, yeah, I think some of the the old guard, you know, are being squeezed out bit by bit. Um, you know, it's, there's there's. It's definitely the shift we've spoken about, you know, whether it's a type of product uh, requirement by consumers or whether it's the business model itself. Um, yeah, there is an old guard that unfortunately, you know, find it harder and harder and, you know, it's unfortunate. And I think COVID, you know, has really, it's really driven that channel shift, you know, far, far down the track. And um, it, it's, it's going to be some hard times, unfortunately, you know, for some retail-based um, businesses and brands. Um, cool. So come on then. Out of all the trends you could have chosen, did you choose CBD or did CBD choose you? CBD chose me. Um, it's It's been um, a, a phenomenal product for myself. 
in terms of sleep and, and recovery uh, from play football at a very, very low level, uh, tra- train in the gym at a very poor level. And um, CBD has just been incredibly helpful to me. Um, and it's a growing industry, a growing sector, and it's something that, you know, I think lends itself very well to, you know, to my background and, and yeah, it's so far, it's been, it's been, it's been a great sector to be in, to be fair. So, so for everyone listening, you've set up a brand, a business, a business and a brand called Nature Can, right? Is that correct? Just give, right. us a, just give us a, give us a 30 second, 60 second summary of what Nature Can stands for. And then just the, the actual products that sit beneath that, because uh, and it's entirely based broadly. It, the, the whole binding point is CBD, right? All right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So set this business up with a gentleman called uh, Paul Finnegan. Um, he's a CBD expert and um, sort of was looking for the next challenge and went to play football in a charity football game. And uh, Paul was there, and we had a chat and thought, oh, "This looks interesting." Um, from there, the the brand, you know, I guess what it stands for is is very much uh, natural products, uh, high quality supply chain, um, looking to take CBD to the consumer in as, as many relevant formats as possible, because the industry has started, you know, very much in tinctures and capsules and soft gels and not very, maybe not very imaginative. So given, you know, the supply chain contacts and links and you know, lucky enough to be in the sports nutrition game, uh, you know, previously in the wellness game, it's been, it's been quite a straightforward transition to get CBD to the end consumer in, in more interesting and relevant formats that, you know, that add to the experience and other, other ingredients uh, that, you know, that, that add value to the CBD. Um, in terms of what we're looking to do, um, you know, again, it, looking to very much build the global leader uh, within five years online. Um, we want Nature Camp to be a really fun place to work, uh, which you know, I think we've achieved that. We've um, we've got uh, forty staff in the business now, all who have equity options, and that's really you know really important uh, that everyone can do really well in the business. Um, the aims, you know, the, probably looking at fifty global websites within the next twelve months, uh, all relevant and you know places where CBD can can be sold and, and can do really well. Uh, on the back of that, you know, we're we're lucky enough to be building the business um, with with some great data behind it. So we we're seeing great repeat rates in our cohorts, um, really high AOV. Um, it is supported by a um, a, a data program uh, by the guys at Conjura. So we get immense backing in that respect. So we know exactly what's going on with our with our customers and our online marketing and different channels. So we're managing to optimize what we're building. Which keeps it, you know, really efficient. And the the oil source that we've um, that we've gone for in the business is, you know, the best we've found. It's got the, the lowest THC levels we've come across, and and we're just looking to build something again, you know, where we can look the consumer in the eye and say we're bringing, you know, the best product to you, and we're going to do it globally. And so far, so good. And from a communication point of view around quality, I, I mean, this is a direct question for me almost for someone who could or technically should get their head around this because I'm sort of in the industry, I, I feel I should be able to. It's not particularly easy, but I think quality is very easy for everyone just to say we've got the best quality. And I'm yeah. not saying that's what you do. I just feel like that's what everyone tells me. Yeah. And I don't know, honestly, how I go away and truly judge it or understand it. 
and um, but yet it's such a big deal anyway, even at the consumer level. So, so what? That's a challenge. So, how do you overcome that challenge of of communicating, demonstrating um, quality? Yeah, brilliant question, and something you know we're very passionate about, and it's 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 on a granular level. It's the the COA, uh, the certificate of analysis of the oil itself. So, looking at the the cannabinoids and the um, the THC levels within the oil, the THC is um, non-detectable. The the cannabinoid profile that we've got on our oil is is um, you know very very high in terms of the CBD percentage, and then the other minor cannabinoids that that bring the entourage effect, uh, which is what brings the the effect of the CBD and makes it stronger. Um, we've we've built our product range on a distillate. Uh, a broad spectrum distillate as opposed to an isolate, which again, you know, for people in in the industry is generally recognised as a, uh, a better quality uh, product, uh, CBD. And then the, I guess it's repeating what we did at MyP, but by being very transparent about what goes in the products, about the certificate of analysis and the testing, um, you know, and and finally, it's the safety data behind the product. So we're putting our distillate oil and every single one of our finished products through the novel food process and we expect to uh, you know, have success in that by March 21. So we will have the stability data, the toxicology data, uh, the ADME uh, studies behind every single one of our finished products. So again, we can look the customer in the eye and say, you know, we understand our products, we know it's safe um, and we know it's the, the best out there. CBD has always grown out of, or has traditionally grown out of catch the tablets, but probably more so the tinctures, you know, the consumption of the tongue, et cetera. Yeah. You have added um, some of the snacks on there, some of the CBD balls, for example. How do you view um, the consumption of CBD moving forward? Do you think, um, I mean, it's gone into everything, unreal, like CBD infused drinks, carbonated soft drinks, um, chewing gum, uh, bars, balls, bites, whatever. Yeah. What's your? I mean, I, and again, I don't know the ability to maintain quality of, of the CBD uh, dose extract homogeneity across those types of products. I'm assuming people do them well. But what's your, before we talk about product quality, or what, what's just your view on the, the format delivery and how that might change the more CBD goes into the market? Yeah. So I think that you know, like almost like sports nutrition, people will look for uh, tasty and uh, different ways to to get their cbd um daily allowance uh, so that's where i think we're very well positioned um you know people want variety they want um they want it to be easy to take at the right times so i think in terms of you know possibly the, the daily dose uh, in time uh, as the understanding increases uh, of cbd you know will probably go up you know we believe it's a good thing uh, cbd and you know we believe the studies and um, the added resource and, and cash injections going into the industry will show that over time. And again, we'll be really well positioned to take advantage of that with our uh, sort of broad product range. Um, so, yeah, I, I think people will look to be able to take it in a convenient format, in a tasty format. And that's, you know, where we're really well positioned. And um, how have you got such a, a broad, how have you got such a high profile list of um, ambassadors on your website? I mean, when I'm going through that, I'm thinking that's some decent cash, right? Um, but I'm going to assume that some of them are, are all, most of them are all genuine. So what's the background behind the, the growth of the, the, the ambassadors that people would know if they went to your website, Freddie Clint, so on and so forth? 
Yeah, you'd be right. Yeah, there's there's, there's no cash going to that. Um, so we're lucky enough to have um, Freddie Flintoff as an investor. Um, he has taken the product for as, as long as it's been out there. He's, he's a friend of myself and, and Paul Finnegan's and he believes in the product. He's had great benefits from it. Um, obviously, a lot of pressure gone onto those knee joints um, from from his past, and um, yeah, he's he believes in it, and he's spread the word to you know to his wider circle. So you, you can certainly see quite a few cricketers have have gone for the products, and and quite a few of the, uh, the you know the guys from the Beeb etc. So yeah, no, no, we're not paying for these guys. They want the product, they're taking it, and they enjoy it. So it's you know it's great for us and, and great for them. What um, I've, I've got to ask you about the uncertainty in Europe, or the uncertainty, I mean, it's probably not very uncertain for you because you, you've got every product going through the novel foods process, etc. I mean, that, that's probably great in some respects for the industry because if you're comfortable, you come through the other end of it. I assume the outs, the outshot of this process is that you, you could be left with only a handful of other very credible players um, to fight it out. Is, is that how you might view it? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's definitely going to be a large market consolidation in the UK um, after after March thirty-first uh, and two thousand and twenty-one, and you know from that point, the FSA, uh, the Food Standards Agency in the UK, will be enforcing. So they'll be taking products off the market who don't have novel food licences. There is there's more uncertainty in Europe, as you mentioned. So the European Food Standards Agency are still you know making the mind up, if you will, but. The you know luckily for us the UK um, FSA have been very clear. Um, they've made it made it very clear what is required um, by by the end of March, and we're lucky enough to be part of the ACI, which is a great body um, led by Steve Moore and um, Parveen Batara has been incredible for us. She's you know, the most knowledgeable person we've come across uh, in CBD and. Uh, we're getting great advice and they're leading us sort of through the process. Um, we've got um, Moira, who's our own member of staff, who again is, is putting a hell of a lot of time into this. Um, so we're so well positioned to, you know, to stay on the market in the UK. And I would expect the EU to follow the UK in the end and, you know, almost the UK dossier to be, to be accepted in the EU. Um, but whatever does end up being accepted in the EU, nobody could be better positioned than ourselves, given the investment we're making um, in the novel food process. Because ultimately, you know, we own the the safety data and the toxicology data, mm. which is which is what it's about. You know, is the product safe or not? Um, and this data proves proves it is. What about the other geographies, Andy? So you, you in the UK, we're talking uh, Europe, obviously America's pretty much where it's almost come from as well. So it's a massive market, not notwithstanding its own regulatory discussions over there. What's it like in what's it what's it like uh, going in the other direction? Um in Asia, etc. Um what does C B D look like uh, once you start going across that side of the world? Yeah, in t- in terms of regulation, um it's it's a li- it's a little bit um more behind. Um and on the back of that, you know, the the entry into some of these countries is harder. Um, but it is something that we've navigated really well. Um, so we've, you know, we've expanded globally and we've entered the major Asian markets and, and we're seeing, you know, great success there. And the we've got good good contacts in those areas who, who have the fingers on the pulse, you know, from a regulatory perspective. So again, you know, it's something we focus on and it it, it, it suits us. You know, the we're pretty brave in business, you know, the, if there's a gray area, you know, we're going to be incredibly 
um, careful and compliant, but we're going to be brave and, and get in there. And uh, it worked for certainly worked in in previous in, in previous life business wise, and and we're doing it um, with CBD. So we're well positioned. You know, we put investment into the regulatory function of our business, and uh, we understand the regs um, globally, and we're sort of playing by the rules. Last question: You come from CEO of a, of a rapidly growing disruptive online sports nutrition business with an outrageous number of products and SKUs. You know that there's um, take some take some time to get your head around. Um, now you're in a a single-minded, focused, easily binded type product range. Obviously, not even close to the level of products and SKUs. So um, surely it's 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 much easier now, and you've got far less to do. Or is it just as complicated and you've got more things to do? Um, how easy is it to manage or how different is it in terms of taking the original big product range of MyP and now a, a smaller product range um, with uh, NatureCan? Yeah, it, it's a, if I'm honest, it's a very similar, um, you know, sort of the journey and challenge and, and again, incredibly enjoyable. You know, it's the, you've got, you've got, the, you've got the same challenges every day, um, you know, which are, making sure your product is global leading, um, getting that product across the globe, you know, properly and as effectively as possible. There's, there's more to it in terms of running a startup. Um, you know, you, you've got a lot, a lot more of an eye on your, your cash position and, um, you know, the, you don't have all the resources you used to have to, to draw on, but it's, it's actually a brilliant learning opportunity. Um, and you know the the challenge of running you know a, a big I guess a big corporate business versus you know a, a, a startup that's growing really well um, you know they're, they're different and it, just, it probably makes you really you know respect um, guys who've started businesses up um, but it's incredibly enjoyable and, and you fly out of bed every morning. So does that mean you're still up at six a.m. in the gym this time with Paul talking about your next CBD product? Is that right? Exactly that, except for Paul isn't in there. Paul doesn't go in the gym. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm in there on my own, but uh, I'm certainly in the gym at 6am still. That, that would be true. Get in there. Get in there. Annie, that's class. Um, it's a good place to, to stop. Uh, as always with everyone, it's, it's, it's amazing that you give your time and insight um, and, uh, and answers to give people a little bit of a view inside the four walls. Um, a phenomenal journey with MyP, phenomenally successful. I didn't actually ask the question about how you ended up leaving, but we'll leave that one for another day. Um, and then um, on to Nature Can. So, uh, you know, wish you the best of luck and um, we look forward to hearing more about that journey in the future. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Nick. Top man. Wow. What a story. I think there's something incredible about listening to Andy. And not just him in himself and everything that he brings to any business that he's seemingly working on, whether it was MyProtein then or Nature Can now. But if we reflect back on the MyProtein story, something that is so important to the way the industry has changed, evolved and disrupted, you can't help but listen to everything that he has discussed, said and contributed to their success. I think what stands out for me more than anything, though, is just the intensity that Andy brings to a number of different things, particularly brand and particularly product. The intensity of getting the product right, offering great quality, but at great value. 
I think what's also fascinating is just the simplicity of the way he describes them now being set up for success um, and the acceleration that they can still make. I think that's a little bit scary for many people out there actually, just imagining that, um, the extent to which they could potentially still accelerate um, from the point at which they are now. So an incredible story, an incredible listen. I also think it's important to reflect on what Andy can take from his time at MyProtein and, and how he's applying it to Nature Can and how he's applying it to CBD. Um, maybe that's just in essence a reminder just the way that MyProtein are doing business is increasingly how most people are going to have to do business moving forward. And so if there's anyone who's got the expertise, the intensity, and of course the capability to make Nature Can a success, then I suspect Andy will do so. So I hope you enjoyed. I hope you will pass on to others. I hope you could take something from this to impact on the way that you do business on a daily basis. Uh, that is exactly what we're trying to achieve. So please continue to listen. Please continue to share. And we look forward to having you all back again very soon. So see you then. Um, bye bye for now.